mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul writes in chapter 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When it comes to abounding, the nations of China and America, you might say, are number one. They are, in fact, ranked one and two in terms of economic wealth and production in the world. And yet, at the same time, these two countries are also ranked number one and two by the World Health Organization for depression, anxiety, and drug use. How can it be that the most wealthy, productive countries in the world are also the most depressed, worried, and addicted? We began this series with the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus says, Where you invest yourself is what will also take ownership of you. If we invest our lives in the treasures of productivity, prosperity, and power, that is what will take ownership of our country. And so we become slaves to the idolatry of luxury, entertainment, and technology. On a smaller, more important scale, this happens in our own hearts. If you invest your life in the stuff that will make your life more entertaining, more prosperous, more popular, more good-looking, more prominent, then that will take ownership of your heart. If you invest in yourself, then you become a slave to yourself. We've been searching with the Philippians to find out what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us about joy. He refers to it as joy and not just happiness, Because it's a word which includes happiness, but it goes deeper and beyond happiness. It includes something more. And in our closing sermon today, we're seeing that deeper reality is contentment. Contentment is something that has to be discovered and discerned, because it doesn't come naturally. It's a piece to what joy really is. And it's perhaps the most important part. It's the secret of what it means to be a Christian. We have to discern this because it doesn't come naturally to us and we are not naturally content and there are so many things vying for your attention and trying to distract you from it. I'd like to start by comparing two philosophies that came out of the 16th and the 17th centuries. The first philosophy was put forth by a philosopher, Michel de Montaigne. Montaigne was what you might call the original skeptic, the first agnostic. He was the father of modern indifference. 
In other words, he taught a philosophy that told you not to care. Not to care. If you care too much about anything, you're going to be disappointed. He argued that we should not invest ourselves too deeply in anything outside of ourselves because nothing can be worth everything. In other words, there's no greater good. There's no greater truth. There's nothing we can trust completely. And so we must be content with indifference, knowing that things are not going to be better outside of ourselves. And just to go about your daily business. He would read some books. He would plant some cabbage. He would build a tower. Maybe paint. But he would not get too involved and concerned with searching out something greater or serving a greater cause. Nothing too much and nothing too little. And so this is the philosophy that represents where we are today. Not caring too much. Not knowing how to value anything. <coughs> One thing above the other. We just need to do enough to get by. And so we see so many young men in America, depressed, anxious, not planning to raise a family, simply shrugging it off and continuing on with their life. On the other hand, there was another philosopher that came along after Montaigne in the next century, and his name was Blaise Pascal. And Pascal is known most famously probably for his work with mathematics and geometry, but he was involved in a lot of other things. He was a physicist. He showed that air has weight. He was a philanthropist, and he invented and devised the first public transportation system. He invented the first calculator. And as a philosopher, then, we see how he had a very different view of what he wanted to accomplish with his life. Well, the first man offered something for those who don't care too much. Pascal told people they don't care enough, and that's the problem. He teaches that if we are to be happy, we have to take risks. We have to search things out. We have to believe that there is a greater good, and we should strive for it. We shouldn't live our lives just looking for the next thing, but we should look for the great thing. And he did this in terms of what he saw in his friends. He would go and visit with his friends who liked to gamble a lot. And Pascal would see how his friends would go gambling. And they would sometimes be happy and sometimes be sad. If they won, they were happy. But it didn't last. He noticed how if they lost, they would be upset, and if they won, they would be happy, but always they would be longing for the next game. They would never be content with having won. They would always be looking for a bigger win. And he was showing them how this life of searching out just the things that are going to make me happy right now doesn't really make us happy. It makes us miserable because always we're somewhere else than when we, where we really are. 
Pascal was also a Roman Catholic who followed the teachings of Augustine. And it was Augustine, one of the early church fathers, that said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. That's the restlessness that we all are familiar with. We are very well acquainted with restlessness. It shows itself in the high anxiety rate that our country has in all the world. It shows itself in all the stuff we keep buying, the consumerism that has been part of American life for a long time. We get all this stuff, the luxury, the entertainment, and the health care, but we're not quite sure what it all means. We don't know how to place value on it. And when we lose it, like we lose our internet connection, we feel lost. When we abound in it, we still feel lost. So how can Paul say that he has learned the secret? How can he say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content? Was it just because he didn't have internet? Well, there's so much more to it. And it's coming right out of this text that we read. For the Apostle Paul, life could abound with all the comfort, food, clothing, and shelter you could ever be wishing for. Or his life could fall apart in hunger, poverty, homelessness, and it didn't change his outlook. Paul says that he is not going to get distracted from his treasure. Because he doesn't find value in the circumstances of his life, he finds value in God, in the meaning of life. And all meaning to life is God. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And not just once, but again I will say rejoice. It is in the Lord that the answers are found that life has meaning, that we can finally rejoice, that we can finally rest from all of our restlessness. He says, when you worry, pray. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I like the translation that you'll find in the song we're going to sing after the sermon. And in this song, it puts it in a poetic way in your bulletin. Don't you worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And the peace of God, far beyond what we can understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and thank God for what he has done. And suddenly, you're transported out of this world of depression and anxiety into this world where God is in charge. And we find rest. We find a world where God has dealt with it all. With his hands on. Every troubling question, every situation that afflicts us, every underlying health cause, God has dealt with it. For this was the mind, Paul says, that was in Christ Jesus, who although he was seated in glory, as God himself, he came down. He was in the comforts 
of the bosom of the Father. And he left that womb to be born into our world where there is suffering. Jesus hungered with us. Jesus was lonely with us. Jesus felt and saw sickness with us, sadness, lostness. Jesus experienced the brokenness of our sinful world. He knew firsthand how evil human beings can be. And yet, rather than revolting against this evil, he accepted it on himself. He accepted the evil and guilt of our ego and our restlessness and our idolatry. And through it all, he never lost his joy. He didn't give up his joy. He didn't shrug in indifference. So what does it matter? They're going to continue to struggle. But he loved, he pursued, and he found the treasure. And his treasure is you. You are the treasure that God is seeking. And this is where we find our rest. When God lays hold of us, and makes us citizenship, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. The words of the gospel are what we're longing for. It's just we're looking in all the wrong places. A relationship with God is what we really want and need. Take a look at the posters that I have up here. I put these posters up. And the children and I had been working on these, so the catechism class worked with me on these posters over the course of several weeks as we did a devotion series on Philippians. And you could see in all these posters how each group of children, two or three, brought out their own style, their own creativity, their own love for the Lord. And these passages are all from Philippians. And yet, as you look them over, what stands out to you? Is there one that stands out more than another? Is there one that stands out less? As I looked them over, I thought, well, which is the one that stands out the most, and which is the one that stands out the least? What makes them all different? And yet, the one that seems to stand out the least, that's the most different than all of them, is also the most boring. It's right down here. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And you probably can't see from the back, but the word content is in blue, the rest is in black. Contentment really is unnoticed by the world. It's boring to most people. It's not as exciting as all the other things. And yet, that's the bottom line for all of us is the simplicity of contentment. Even if you don't have all the flowers and the color, even when you're feeling depressed, it's that simple contentment, that word contentment, that gets you through it. But from there we see that all of these passages are really working together toward a common goal. So here Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says, meditate on this, the goodness of God, the beauty of God, the pureness of God, the loveliness of God, and set your mind on those things in this world that are going to reflect and deliver that to you day by day. Because what happens when we worry? When we worry, when we're angry, when we're greedy, when we're reacting badly to others, what are we setting our minds on? What are we meditating on? That's what meditation is. It's setting your mind on something. Well, here we have an example of, of eight pictures that we could set our minds on. And there is a beauty and a loveliness to it, right? When we see the word of God and we put it together with the colors and beauty of creation that God gives us, that we can meditate on things that will give us happiness and joy that last. Take these words to heart. Take these passages to heart. Snap a picture of it before you leave today, between services. We need to flip the ratio where our country is no longer number one in economy and number one in anxiety, but where we give up the riches. We let it crash and burn. We watch everything become tumbling down that we think is important. And with it, so does worry. So does depression, so does addiction. It all comes crumbling down until we're standing alone on the foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's secret. If our economy or our life abounds, give thanks. If it plummets, give thanks. If you like the president's decisions or not, give thanks. If your life is going well or not, give thanks. If you have a job or you've lost a job, give thanks. If you are struggling to work out relationships or if your marriage is going well, give thanks. Don't worry about a thing. Instead, pray about everything and thank God for what he has done. Amen.